Good evening, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. realize you're only going to hear that bumper one more time. You're going to have to learn a whole new song. You realize that? Because in two weeks, we're kicking off a new series. I'll talk about that later. But uh, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. If it's your very first time, we're just so um, excited you're here, glad you're here. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so inside your program is a green and white message note sheet that we use every week. And so if you're all ready to go, we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay. You hungry to learn? Okay, are you open to what God's going to say to you tonight? Are you ready to listen and follow? All right, all right. Now we're ready. Let's go. Father, we're just excited to be here because we know that you are our teacher. And Lord, we experience it every week, how you open up your word to us. And you speak it in a profoundly personal way. And we go away and we, we know that we've been spoken to and there's choices to make and there's a path that leads to life. And there's a path that leads to death. And, and so today, Lord, as we talk about the importance of our choice and about how choice determines destiny, both this life and the next life, we pray, God, that you would come with the power of your spirit and you would speak for it's your voice that we long to hear. And we pray that if you do that, we say if you do that, that we will listen and follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Our story starts today on a beautiful early fall morning. And it's a, it's a very special day in her life because it's her birthday. But not just her birthday, this is a life changing birthday, because today she turns 16, and she's been preparing this for a long time, and so she's completed her driver ed course. She has memorized the DMV booklet. She has spent the required hours behind the wheel, and today, she is going this morning for an appointment for her driving test that she scheduled weeks in advance. And so she gets in the car that day, and her father is with her, and she drives to the DMV. And as the two of them are sitting there waiting for her name to be called, finally the moment comes when her name is called and her examiner comes out, he introduces himself, doesn't look very friendly, it's a DMV. Probably unnecessary to say that. <laughs> Sorry to be a redundant. And, uh, and she gets up and she walks through the double glass sliding doors that lead out to the covered patio where cars park the driveway right next to where students being tested will start their test. And as she leaves, her father's very nervous. They've worked hard for this day, and he believes she's ready. But on the other hand, he knows it's tricky. You can get nervous. He's just hoping she remembers everything that they've studied and learned. He's particularly concerned because he knows that the back roads behind the DMV have slow speed limits, they're very curvy, and instructors often take students there to see if they can trip them up. And so the moments pass by, it seems like forever, and finally she returns, and he's watching her face and looking for any telltale sign of victory or defeat. 
And as she comes through the double glass doors, he can tell that there's a, a subtle but solid smile. And uh, she's passed. And they're so excited. They've worked for this day so hard. And so they celebrate. And he takes her to school. And little does he know what's going to happen that evening. Well, today, we are continuing our series. It's called Unfiltered. The audience of one. And if you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, I just want to welcome you. We're so glad to have you. And this is a series about Jesus. And the reason we call it unfiltered is because many times in our life, when it comes to studying the life and teaching of Jesus, that we often have filters in our life, kind of preconceived notions of who Jesus is or what he's taught based on maybe things we've learned as long ago in Sunday school, if we were raised in church, maybe. It's things later in life. and Maybe it's uh, secular college classrooms, things that have said about Jesus. Maybe it's things you've read in the newspaper or online about Gospel of Judas or Gospel of Thomas or some PBS special. But our goal in this series is really to go back in time, see if we can strip off some of those filters and capture some new images, some fresh images of Jesus and who he is. And so our goal, what we're doing is we're going back to one of the earliest documents, the earliest biographies of the life and teaching of Jesus. It's called the Gospel of Matthew uh, to see if we can capture some of those new images. And so right now, we're in the very end of this series that's been focused on the most famous teaching Jesus has ever gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you were here last week, we came to chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus wraps up the teaching, the main body of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And so from here to the end of the chapter, this week and next, he is going to speak to his disciples and the crowd, and he's going to deliver four powerful challenges or warnings. And the question is, now that I've taught you about the kingdom of the heavens, now that I've shared God's vision for your life and the path to human flourishing, the question is, how will you respond? Will you reject my teaching? Will you just listen and like it? Or will you listen and follow? And so today we're going to be looking at the first two of these four uh, final powerful challenges. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, I'd like you to open up and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. There in your note sheet, you have a section called Unfiltered, The Two Paths. So, Jesus says in chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. Destruction. And many enter through it. It's well-traveled. It's a super highway. This is, uh, you know... Six lanes, 12 lanes, whatever, Southern California at its finest, right? Uh, he says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? To life and only a few find it, right? So that's teaching number one, challenge number one. What are you going to do with what I've told you? Uh, second teaching is about truth and error, true prophets, false prophets. He said, watch out for what? False prophets. So these would be people that would be claiming to be speaking for God, but really aren't. 
And they said, they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. So they're going to look like the real deal. They're going to look solid. They're going to look like you can trust them. They're going to look like they have your best interest. Everything's going to look good on the outside. But he said, inwardly, they are what? Ferocious wolves. I mean, it's dangerous. They're very dangerous. They're, they're motivated by selfish ambition, by their own personal glory. They want to use you for their own purposes, not serve you. And so he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them, comparing these prophets to trees. And he says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Now, what's the obvious answer? No, you pick grapes from grapevines. Um, Or do you you, um, pick uh, figs from thistles? Well, likewise, in a similar way, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Unless you can tell the quality of a tree by the quality of its fruit. And, uh, of course, the fruit is representing the life, the actions, right? So don't just evaluate teachers just by what they say, but by how they live. He said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Over time, their true identity will be revealed. And every tree that does not bear good fruit, remember he's talking about false uh, prophets, is what? Cut down. In other words, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken out. They're going to face judgment. Um, and they're thrown into the fire. And thus, by, your, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. So from this, two, this passage, Jesus gives the first two of four final challenges or warnings. Uh, how are you going to respond to what I've taught you? All right. And so what I want to do today is from these two challenges, warnings, I want to highlight three important principles and then come back at the end and ask two uh, important questions. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Unfiltered Choice and Consequence. Now, the first principle is sort of a basic principle, but we need to start here because everything that we're going to learn today is based on this. This is Jesus' assumption, um, and it's uh, everything that we're going to learn is built on this. So we're going to start with this. And so this is where we start is that the first assumption that Jesus is making is that the next life is coming. All right, so Jesus in his teaching, and we'll see this later, Jesus, Jesus assumes that the next life is real. In fact, he assumes that it's not only real, it's solid. It is physical. Um, it is tangible. It's not, like I often say, clouds and harps. Right? It's not like see-through, like in the movies where they, that Nicolas Cage, you know, angel movie or something like that. You know, when everything kind of seeing through. And this is often how the next life heaven is portrayed in our media. Isn't it? It's very ethereal, very wispy. And so for Jesus, the next life is very real. It's very physical. It's very solid. And it's very long. So the next life is real, and all of his teaching is based on this, that this life is just the entryway into the next life. It's like the lobby into eternity, and it's very real. And everything that Jesus teaches is based on that assumption. He cannot say anything without seeing the larger framework of human future. Right, so nothing he says will ever be apart from, it's not like he just talks about them when he's talking about the next life. It's like everything he says flows out of a worldview 
that assumes the reality of the next life, much like a parent when they're raising a child, man, junior high and high school, they see their future and everything a good parent is doing is based on the reality of the future. It's coming. And so Virginia's coming. Now, what's interesting is that this view of Jesus, that the next life is real and it's coming, is increasingly controversial in our day. Now, it's interesting. I think that it would be fair to say that most people in our culture today still believe in the reality of some sort of life after death, some sort of life. This is why when you go to a memorial service, it doesn't matter who the person is or what they've done, what the person up front will typically say, or you'll often hear by those around you, well, it's too bad for George. We're really going to miss him. But I'm so thankful that he's in a There you go. He's in a better place. And it's very rare today that you go to a service where the leader gets up and says, hey, so sorry about George, you know? Man, he was good while he lasted. Um, hey, but as we all know, uh, we're just a bunch of molecules and uh, chemicals that, uh, that have, have formed randomly over time, over billions of years. And so, you know, consciousness is really sort of a, it's sort of a, it's a myth. It's, it's not really, it's an illusion. And when you die, you're gone, you're dead. So let's go out and have some fruit cocktail and, and uh, some refreshments here because George is gone and we're not seeing him again. Like that is very, like that's going to be very uncommon in our culture. But here's what I would suggest, and you see this more and more in our culture today, that, that our culture is beginning to understand the implications of a worldview that is embraced, and I, I don't, you, I'm not using this in a pejorative term, but has embraced a worldview of atheistic evolution that says all of life is simply the result of billions of years of random accidents, and therefore, life really has no meaning, and therefore, there really is no ultimate sense of true right and wrong, and therefore, when you die, you are gone. There is nothing else. And our culture is increasingly waking up to the reality of embracing that worldview and what it says about life after death. This is one of the reasons you're seeing in the news so many more suicides, especially among young people, but you see it throughout, uh, you see it throughout our culture right now. You say, why is this happening? Well, when you, when you embrace a story that says we are the result of billions of years of random accidents. There is no ultimate right, there is no ultimate wrong, there is no God, and there is no next life. When you die, you are gone. It makes taking your life during hard times much more appealing. And we will see it increasingly as our culture goes down this path. And so we live in the midst of a culture today that's increasingly seeing the implications of the worldview that we bought into as a culture. And the end result of that is that there's increasing trend. You'll, if, if you pay attention, you'll see it more and more that there is no such thing as life after death. When you die, you are gone. That is the end of the story. But... 
what you see, Jesus stands on the opposite side and he said, no, that every human being, once they are conceived or born, they come into life, will live forever. We will live, we're, we are now immortal in the sense that once a person is created, they're never uncreated. Everyone that you know, everyone in your life, every, will live forever. We will not go back into the universe. We will not be like a drop of water going back in the sea. You, as you, will live forever. And you cannot even make sense of the teaching of Jesus apart from understanding this basic worldview that he stands in. Now, it's interesting. I'm going to talk about this more later. But it's interesting. Most Jewish people in Israel of Jesus' day shared this worldview. Not everyone. But the, the most prevalent worldview in Israel at the time of Jesus was what we call the two ages. So most Jews believed in two ages, that we live right now in the fallen age, the age of darkness, the age of sin, the age of sickness, the age of disease, the age of oppression, the age of injustice, but one day there will be a, quote, coming age, often associated with the coming of Messiah, when God will break into human history turn all wrongs to right, there will be a judgment, a final judgment, and then most Jews believe in a physical resurrection at the end of time, and it might be some Jews believe just righteous Jews, some believe all people, and this was their, their basic, well, there's two ages, and what I want you to catch is Jesus affirmed that. Jesus affirmed that basic view, but he also modified it in a very important way that we'll see later. All right, so uh, you see this all through the teaching of Jesus. I put several verses there on your note sheet. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip the ones in the Sermon on the Mount. I was going to illustrate it, but I think just for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump ahead to Matthew 16 if you find that. But this is very typical of Jesus, but I just want to illustrate it. He says, whoever wants to save their life, and he's talking in context about saving your physical life as opposed to being persecuted for Jesus and giving your life for him, all right? So he says, whoever wants to save their life, uh, their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. So what good it will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul, or in Greek, their life? For the Son of Man is going to come in the future in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have what? Right. So what you see in Jesus, it's see you know, once I highlight it, you'll see it in every page. His teaching doesn't make any sense apart from the coming age. This is why in the Beatitudes, and I'm, I'm talking about them, I said I wasn't going to talk about them, but in Matthew 5, I gave you some examples. This is why he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Like, how can it be blessed to be persecuted because you're on the right side of eternity? How can he say, blessed are those who mourn? Who wants to mourn? Well, if you're mourning for the right reasons, 
You're on the right side of eternity. You see, so none of the teaching, that Jesus assumes this reality. It's very obvious to him. And of course, then Jesus proved that his teaching was accurate because when he rose from the dead with a physical body, he was the first, his body was the first step in the new creation that's coming. So the resurrection wasn't just about Jesus. The Bible says it was the first fruits of a coming harvest. It was the coming, the start of the new creation was the, the resurrection of Jesus. All right, so that's where we're going to start today. For Jesus, next life is a real, it's obvious, it's coming as, as, as sure as day follows night. It was obvious to him, and all of his teaching was against that background. Right? Number two, the second principle is that our choices determine our destiny. Jesus was very big on this. Our choices determine our destiny, both this life and the next life. So, for example, look at 7.13. And I want you to, to see this. In 7.13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. You have a choice. He says, in life, there are two different paths. There's a narrow path and a narrow gate, or there's a wide path and a wide gate, so choose wisely. You remember one of the final scenes from Indiana Jones, the last crusade, the old priest? Choose wisely. Oh, he didn't choose wisely. Uh, <laughs> enter through the narrow gate. He says, hey, you've got a choice. There are two roads in life. One is very popular. It is a 12-lane superhighway, and it's jammed. It's like the 405 at 5 on a Friday. It is a lot of people on that thing. He says, but uh, you don't want to be on that. You want to be on the country road, right? You want to be on the narrow path, and you have a right to choose. And he says that, that your choice determines your destiny, right? Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, many enter, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, so many find, and few find it. So he says, so enter through the right gate. Make the right choice. Now, here's what I want you to catch. This teaching of Jesus about the two paths, the two roads, the two gates, Jesus is standing on the shoulders of the prophets and the poets and the wise, the wisdom writers of Israel. If you go to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, you'll see this time and time again, this key principle that your future, your, your, uh, your choice determines your destiny. And one of the most common methods throughout the Hebrew Scriptures that the Hebrew prophets, poets, and wise men use to teach this principle is by talking about two paths, two ways, two roads. So for example, there in your note sheet, the very first psalm, and this is no accident that this starts, psalm starts with this psalm, it says, the Lord, remember Lord, all caps is Yahweh, Yahweh watches over the what? The way. Do you see that word? Don't miss it. The way. This concept of the way, the path, the road. He watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to what? There you see it again. Okay, go to the next one. And by the way, there are a million verses like this. I just picked out a few. Proverbs 4, the what? The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to full day. But the what? The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know which makes them stumble. Jeremiah 6. I'm giving you some psalms, some proverbs, a little uh, prophets here. So this is what Yahweh says to Israel. Stand at the what? 
crossroads, see the analogy, the metaphor, and look and ask for the ancient paths and ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Does that sound familiar? Jesus talking about rest for your souls. You take my yoke and you'll find rest, right? And so you said, but we will not walk in it. So, so God says, hey, you, hey, you're at a critical time in your, your nation's history. You need to stand back. You need to go to the cross. You need to look back where you've come from. You need to see the path that leads to life, path that leads to death. You need to choose wisely. And Israel said, no, we won't. And so Jesus stands on a long line of prophets, priests, wise men, poets, that have used this metaphor time and time again, that our choices determine our destiny. Choose wisely. Choose the right path. Now, of course, this is not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has talked about choice and consequence, this concept of choice and consequence. Um, I'm just going to give you one example. We could look at several. But you may remember back in chapter 5, where Jesus was beginning to explain the difference between real righteousness and religious righteousness. Remember, he gave us like six examples. And he talked about sexual purity and what sexual purity looks like and how it's more than just not committing adultery, right? It's having a heart pure towards people of the opposite sex. And so right after that, he says this on your note sheet. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. We've talked about how it's obviously hyperbole but it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into what? Now, I didn't stop and talk about this there because I knew I was going to talk about it here. But what I want you to assume is that Jesus, he doesn't even feel the need to introduce the concept of hell. This was common in their culture. There's a path that leads to life. There's a path that leads to death. The future is real. Like I said, this is all part of their understanding and he doesn't even feel the need. He just says, what he says is you need to make really good choices and catch this, you need to do whatever it takes. Cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, do whatever. So what's the point? Not only is the future is real, that your choice determines your destiny and you need to do whatever it takes to make sure you're on the right side of eternity. And he goes on and gives, if you're right, he says it again, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than the whole body to go into hell, right? Um, and so uh, what's interesting as a culture today is that we, for the most part, have taken Jesus at his word about the reality of the next life in terms of the better place. This... Our belief in a culture in a better place that you go to when you die largely comes from the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament and the influence it's had on Western culture. But as a culture, we have largely rejected what he teaches about the next life and the reality of not just the good, a better place, but a worse place. And even more than that, as a culture that today, to a large degree, we have rejected as a culture the whole concept of choice and consequence. A lot of you are business owners, you're school teachers, you're educators, you're uh, uh, court, uh, court officials. 
And you know this, how hard it is to hold anyone accountable for their behavior today. We are a culture that are all about choice and options, very little about responsibility. We're all about rights. We're very little about responsibility. And as a culture, we have bought in that you should always get a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, an 18th chance. There should never be consequences. And what's interesting is the concept of a second chance comes from Jesus and the New Testament teaching of grace. That's what's influenced our culture. But what Jesus says is, yes, there is grace, but there is also consequence. And so choose wisely that your choices will determine your destiny, both this life and the next life. And we started the day with a story of this 16-year-old girl who, on her birthday, is going to go and get her driver's license. She passes the test. She's excited that she passed. She's with her dad. They celebrate. She goes to school. The day starts off great. Let me just say, this story has an okay ending. <laughs> I know. I don't want to play with you anymore. Um, play with your emotions. I'll do that to an extent, but only to an extent. Um, <laughs> Um, this is a story from my life. This is a story of my daughter, my oldest daughter. She turned 16. And I was so excited for her. We, we had, my, my wife can't really drive a lot. She's been rear-ended 13 times. And so she only goes in cars when she needs to. And so I had done all the training. Like we had never let my daughter drive with her just because of obvious reasons. And, uh, and so I had done all the training, all the hours, uh, and it was awesome, you know, we had got this time together, and, and now comes the day, and it's just a big day for both of us. We're really excited about this. And so she goes, and I was so nervous. I'm praying. I'm calling Lynn. You know, it's just like, like Jesus, help the girl. You know, it's like, uh, it's just, and I was so excited when she passed. And the reason is, is because you all know this, or most of you know this, you should know this, that I mean, getting your driver's license is a big deal. I mean, it changes your world. It opens up whole new world and opportunities for you. And so I was so excited for her. And so, you know, I took her to school that day and she came home that afternoon. And, and so that night she comes out and just kind of spontaneously, it's about, I don't know, 6.30, it's September 24th. So it's just going to, the cool of the day. Uh, and she says, hey, dad, can I uh, take the car and go see some of my friends? And I was so excited for her. I was like, yes. And, um, and so I remember walking her out because I wanted to get a picture of her first adventure. And and so, you know, we go out together, and, and there's kind of the grass on our left with a little brick wall. This was in Vista, our house in Vista. And we had a long flag driveway. So it was very private, and big eucalyptus trees behind. And our Avalon was there in the driveway. And, and so uh, I get a picture behind her. And, you know, it's just blue skies and kind of a balmy night and just beautiful. And I take this picture of her, and it's just so exciting. And I'm so excited. And I reach into my pocket, and I hand her the keys. And as I hand her the keys... I had an aha moment. And that moment, no, no lie, in that moment I realized I was handing her the power of life and death. And up to that moment, I was just so excited because I saw the life. I was so excited for the friendships and the new experiences. I was just so excited about the new life that I realized in that moment, 
that I am giving her the power to make decisions that can destroy or even take her life with a single wrong decision. It was a very sobering moment. Some of you have younger children and you're just sitting there scared to death right now. <laughs> so we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And uh, it's for hurts, habits, hang-ups. And if you have a new one, uh, Thursday night, it's awesome. Um, anyway, but no lie, that moment, it was a sobering moment. And as I've reflected on that, I thought, what a beautiful picture of the story of our race. That God could have created robots who loved him and chose what's right, but he didn't. He, he chose free human beings that have the right to choose. But with that, comes the choice for life or the choice for destruction because by nature we are eternal beings and we will be one place. And so Jesus, as he comes to the end of this teaching, he says, okay, I've shown you the path to life. Choose wisely. I love what I love the way Moses puts this. Remember I said all through the Bible you see this theme, but I love how Moses puts this in Deuteronomy 30 there in your note sheet. This is right before the nation of Israel goes in the promised land, and they're gonna have to decide to either follow Yahweh or not. And he says, see, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and destruction, two paths. Now choose life that you and your children may live. And so Jesus assumes the next life is coming. All his teachings in that framework. And he says our choices will determine our destiny. Choose well. And this leads to number three. The second challenge that he gives today from the second challenge is that truth matters. Truth matters. You know, we live in a day and age where we are often told that when it comes to your spiritual life, your relationship with God, uh, right and wrong, that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere because the reality is, is that all paths, all prophets, all teachers are really saying the same thing. They're just using different words. So it doesn't really matter whether you follow Jesus or Buddha, or Mohammed, or Oprah, or Joseph Smith, they're all basically saying the same thing. As long as you're sincere and it works for you, it all works. But what we see today is that Jesus says that's not the truth. In fact, if you look, I want you to look with me at Matthew 7, 15, what he says And 7.15, he says, watch out for what? False prophets. false prophets. So there are false prophets. Some are false because they're teaching wrong things and they don't know it. Some are false, they're teaching wrong things and they do know it. They're using people. But he says, watch out for false prophets. So there's, there's truth in the air. There's true spiritual leaders. There are false spiritual leaders. 
They'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Then skip down to verse 19. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, and remember he's talking about these false prophets, is cut down and thrown into the fire. They don't all end up at the same place. There's truth and there's error, and it really matters. So be very discerning when you decide to follow someone to make sure they're teaching you the truth and you can trust their character. And so Jesus says that there is a narrow path and there is a broad path, and so choose wisely. Now, I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it, and you note she, he says, one road leads home, and a thousand roads, the broad road, lead into the wilderness. No. So if this is true, if this is true that the next life is coming, and if it's true that our choices determine our destiny, both this life and the next, and if it's true that truth really matters, it matters what you believe, it matters who you follow, this leads then to a couple questions. And there on your note sheet, you have a section called Choice and Consequence, two important questions. And so the first question goes like this, and this is a question for those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, at least we would self-identify that. We would see ourselves as a follower of Jesus. Um, and the question is, we've, we've seen today what Jesus has said about the next life, the reality of the next life, that the mark of a wise person is that they live this life in light of the next life, constantly is teaching. In light of that, the question is, which life are you living for? Now, this may be a little hard for you to answer, but let me make it a little bit more practical. Because in Jesus' teaching, in this Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying often on this last year, Jesus has been explaining to us the narrow path. Are you in the air? Jesus, in the Sermon Mount, he is identifying the markers of the narrow path. And so, if you want to know which path you're on, and are you living this life for the next life, you need to look at the teaching he's given us this last year. And Jesus has said, hey, real righteousness is different than religious righteousness. Let me give you some illustrations. How do you deal with your anger? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with sexual purity? Are you living a life of integrity? How do you approach your marriage? How do you approach and respond to your enemies? Um, When you're seeking me, are you seeking me to please me or to impress others? Uh, Are you pursuing me in prayer? Uh, Are you fasting? Are you giving to the poor? Uh, Are you learning not to condemn others but to give grace? I mean, Jesus has been laying out the path. And here's what I want you to catch. It's when we live this way, we're living for the next life. It's not a mystery here. 
When we listen and follow the teaching of Jesus, we are, by definition, living for the next life. When we do not follow the teaching of Jesus in whatever it is, and it's our sexual morality, it's the way we deal with our anger, it's what we do with our finances, it's whether we spend time with God in prayer, whether it's we're fasting, and if we're not listening and following, we are not living for the next life. The next life is not just about one or two things. It's about a whole new way of life. So which life are you living for? Second question. Which path are you on? Jesus says there's only two paths. Now, our culture says there are many paths. Jesus says there's only two two paths. He said, one is narrow. It's sort of a minority path. It's not near as popular. Um, The other is like a super highway and it's jammed. And so he said, so uh, you want to be on the right path because if you're on the wrong path, it leads to the wrong destination. So we've all had this experience, have we not? We've all had this experience of thinking we're on the right road and we're not. Have you ever had that experience of you, you're just dead certain that you took the right road and you believe it with all your heart, but you still end up at the wrong destination. It doesn't matter how much you believe you're on the right path. If you're on the wrong path, you, head, you end up at the wrong destination. And so Jesus says, hey, there's only two paths, or in Lewis's terms, there's a thousand wrong ones within the one, right? He says, so make sure you're on the right path. So the question is, are you on the right path? Now, it's interesting because later in his life, Jesus will give some more clarity and teaching about how do you get on the right path? Like, how do you merge off of the superhighway and get on the, the narrow path? How do you, how do, you do that? And Jesus says something very famous in John 14. And even for those of you who are longtime Christ followers, my hunch is you may have missed the metaphor or so familiar with it. But in John 14, he said, I am the what? This is not like an isolated, he's just coming up. He's using this Hebrew metaphor that runs all through. He says, I am the way. Like, what is the narrow path? He said, I am the path. The path is me, entering into a relationship with me. So look at I am the way, and I am the, the truth. Truth matters. He said, but I am the truth. If you want to know the truth, you have to enter into relationship with me. And I am the, the life. All right, so Jesus says, there's only one path that leads to life and that he is that path. So the question is, how do we get off the wrong path, the broad path, how do we get on the right path, the narrow path? And Jesus says, it's through a relationship with me. And so when you come into a relationship with me, and let's define that. I'm not just saying, raise your hand at a meeting, I'm in. I don't know, 
we come under his leadership. I believe in you. I don't just believe certain things about you and your death. I believe in you. I trust you. And I'm going to follow you. I'm coming under your leadership. I believe you are the way. I believe you are the truth about life. And you are life itself. And therefore, I'm going to come under your leadership. Jesus says that that is the narrow path. It's interesting because in our day today, there are many who would say, well, that is very narrow-minded. Are you telling me there's only one way and that all these other paths are wrong? It seems very narrow-minded. Well, a couple things I would say. First, we have it on good authority that it is narrow, and that is a good thing. I think he's made it clear. But the second thing is I think that when we say that, that that's very narrow, what it shows is that we don't yet understand who Jesus is. Once we understand that Jesus is God who has come to us, What he's saying is the only way to God is through God. Yes. Isn't there another way to God that avoids God? No. See, there's only one God. If there were many different gods, then there might be many different ways, but there's only one God. God and that God has come to reveal himself. So if you reject the God who has come to reveal himself, you're rejecting the only God there is. See, by nature, truth is, has hard edges. By nature. Truth is exclusive by nature. Two and two is four. You can't make it five. You can't make it six. I don't care how much you want to. It is what it is. And there is only one God, and that God has come in Christ to reveal himself. And if you reject the only God there is, there is no other God. You've rejected the only God there is. And so it's really interesting because Jesus, I I mentioned earlier that Jesus affirmed the two-age worldview, right? There's one age, this current age, an age of sin, of evil, of death, of disease, of oppression, injustice. That's the current age. There's a future age coming, a kingdom of God. And so he affirmed the two-age. He did, but he modified it. And this is what he said, by his life and death and resurrection. Remember I said his resurrection was the beginning of the new creation? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the life of the new age has invaded the current age. So we live between the ages. For Jews, what would happen at the end of the age 
what would happen? Judgment would happen. What would happen? Resurrection would happen. What would happen? At the end of the eternal life would happen. At the end of the age. But Jesus said, no, because of my life, death, and resurrection, the next age has broken into this age and you can begin to experience the life and the power of the coming age here and now. You don't have to wait then to, receive, to experience the life of the coming age. Not just length of life, but quality of life, eternal life. You don't have to wait then to find out how you'll do in the judgment. You don't have to do that. You don't have to wait until then to begin to experience the resurrection. You can begin to experience the power of the resurrection here and now. And this is how he put it on your note sheet in John chapter 5. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word, my message, and he believes him who has sent me, what's the next word? Has. Catch that. Not will have. Has. Here and now. Eternal life. And he's not just talking about length of life after you die. He's talking about the life of the coming age here and now. The life that's communicated by the Spirit of God. It's a foretaste of the life, the, the new life of the coming age here and now. And then he moves on. He said, and w- that person will not be what? Judged. Because through the relationship with Christ, he's born the judgment. And he said, and you have crossed over from death to life. You don't have to wait to the coming age to see if you will cross over from death to life. You can cross over here and now. How do you get off the broad path and onto the narrow path that leads to life? Through a relationship with the one who is the path. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're serious about this, You say, well, I want in. I want to follow Jesus. I believe in his life. I believe in his death for my sins. I believe, and I want in. I want to cross over from life, from death to life. I want to pass through judgment here and now. I want the life of the the future age invading my life here and now through the power of his spirit. I want to know the resurrection life of the coming age here and now. I want to follow Jesus and not just be forgiven, but to come under the leadership of the true king of creation. I want to bow my knee now by choice rather than bow my knee later against my will. And I want to be on the right side of eternity. I do not want to go to hell. I want to be part of the new creation that's coming. If that's you today, I'm going to give you a chance right now to give your life to Christ and to ask him to become your king, your savior, your Lord, the one who gives you life and transforms you and changes you from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray together.
While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, uh, I want to ask a couple questions. And first of all, I want to talk to those who you would see yourself as a follower of Jesus. And as we have gone through this series, and we'll be wrapping up next week, but I asked the question today, which life are you living for? And as I broke it down, it may be that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about some area of your life where you're not living for the next stage. And as I was even talking about, the Holy Spirit was showing you what that step needs to be in your life, to live this life for the next life. And during this time of worship, we're going to be singing a song called Fall Away. And I just want to encourage you, let everyone else fall away and you just surrender to the Lord on that, that you'll be living this life. Well, maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a forgiveness issue. Maybe it's a sexual purity issue. Maybe it's a money issue. Maybe it's a time with God issue. I don't know what it is, but you will know if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and that you would listen and follow and begin to live this day for that day. And then if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you've not understood the story, maybe you've not been ready, but today you want in. You want to merge from the A-lane highway of this world. And you want to merge into, off that, onto this narrow path that follows Jesus. You want to ask him to forgive you for your sins. You want to ask him, you want to repent and turn from that lifestyle of rebellion. You want to surrender and bow your knee to him as your king and receive the gift of his Holy Spirit and the, the power of the new life that Jesus promised. When we come to him, we will be born again. The new life, the life of eternity coming into your life now. If that's you, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And if it expresses the desire of your heart, if you just pray along with me in your mind, in your heart, your brain, that the Lord will hear that if you're sincere. Let's pray, for, pray with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. I believe in you. I believe in your life, in your death, your resurrection for me. And I ask you to forgive me for my rebellion and to come into my life by the power of your spirit so I can begin to live the resurrection power, the new life for you and be with you forever on the right side of eternity and the new creation that's coming. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer, first of all, I want to welcome you to the kingdom. It's the most amazing decision you've ever made. I want to promise you that God has heard your heart and he's going to begin to work in your life. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor that in a couple minutes we'll be taking the offering, receiving the offering. And inside your program is a little card called the Connect Card. If you just fill out the front of it, your name and address and so on, on the back say, I gave my life to Jesus. This week we will send you a letter from me with some suggestions. Here's some first steps in your new relationship with Jesus. And so we would love to be praying with you to share that decision and then just to send you a letter. We're not going to call you or bug you, but we're just going to give you that information so you can begin to start this new life. So Father, we come now in the name of Jesus and we thank you that you have come. The you who are in the form of God did not consider equality with God 
something to be grasped, held on to, but you, you gave that up. You took on the form of a servant. Being found in human likeness, you, you gave your life in death, death on a cross, that we could merge off of the broad path and into the narrow path and into life. And we pray, Lord, as we worship now, as we receive our give the gifts, the offering, the tithes, we pray that everything else would fall away. And that as we listen and follow, we'd be living this life in light of that life. And we pray this in your name. Amen.